many of you are familiar in any way with the characters in the Marvel Comics universe known as the Avengers? Right, we're talking Captain America and the Hulk. We're describing uh, Iron Man and, and uh, we're thinking of Spider-Man. We're talking about the Wasp and the Wolverine and Black Panther and Black Widow and a whole lot of other characters. When I, when I was 15 years old and younger, I would save up my allowance and I would go down to the five and 10 cent store, the carousel it was called, and I would buy myself Marvel Comics magazines. And I would go home and I would read them with incredible joy. In fact, I would read them uh, oftentimes at night when I was supposed to be asleep I would be under the covers with a flashlight reading the stories of these Marvel uh, comic book heroes. You can imagine that when they turned these comic books into major motion pictures, I was pretty excited. And I was, and I went to them, and I still go to all of them today. I just love those movies. Except for the last one I watched, one of the biggest ones I watched uh, some time ago. Because by the end of that movie, I was simply devastated. Uh, the movie was called Avengers Infinity War. Some of you maybe have seen it. The title gives away something important to know. It tells us that this is a storyline about a really big battle, about a really significant battle, a battle for all the cosmic marbles. And I use that term carefully because it really is about the, the, the battle for these six infinity stones, they're called. These, these these objects of tremendous power, and if one person accumulates all six of the infinity stones, then they have a massive kind of authority to do anything they want in this universe. The story builds around the uh, figure of a particular uh, questor after those infinity stones. He is a man named uh, Thanos, which I did some research on. I googled it. It means, it's a Greek word. It means literally the immortal. He is Thanos the immortal, a great big hulking figure. And if ever there was a blacklist character, a sort of stereotypical archetypal bad guy, Thanos is it. Thanos corrupts and co-ops and coerces people. He uses people, he abuses people. At one point, he lets his own beloved daughter fall to her death when he could have prevented it so that he can get the last of the infinity stones. And the end of the story, the very climax of the movie, has him possessing this sixth and final stone, and with it all of the authority to do whatever his heart chooses to do. And Thanos chooses to use all of that power to annihilate one half of all of the sentient life in this universe. Just try and take that in. One half of all sentient life in this universe destroyed. And we watch as this movie comes to a close, as some of these marvelous figures that we have come to know and love, uh, I mean, people uh, like Spider-Man himself and, and like Black Panther, uh, we watch all of these, these incredible people that are doing so much good in the world, we watch them as they literally disintegrate, as their faces and then their torsos and their limbs uh, break up into pieces and disassemble and then are just swept away into nothingness like dust in the wind. It's just 
a horrible thing to watch. And the movie finally comes to an end having watched all of these lives destroyed. And you're sitting there thinking, this is awful. There's no way this movie ends like this. I mean, I would never have paid money to be so depressed. (laughs) There's got to be more. And so I'm sitting there in the theater and I think, maybe there's an Easter egg. You know what an Easter egg is? It's a term that was... Uh, coined by software engineers where they put little surprise things into the programming and Hollywood's now taken to using this and what they do is, is they surprise you by, by putting an extra scene at the very end of the movie after the credits if you're willing to sit through the credits you see this final scene and it's often a funny scene or it's a warm-hearted scene or it's something that adds another little dimension to the story and so I just hung on hoping there'd be an Easter egg And there was. And my heart surged as light came on and we saw a scene there and the camera zoomed in on the face of Nick Fury. Now, if you're not a follower of Marvel, you won't know, Nick Fury is the founder of the Avengers. He is played by Samuel L. Jackson. And he is one tough, gritty dude. And so I'm thinking as I'm watching this, Nick Fury is the perfect guy to save the day. He never gives up. It's all going to turn out all right. And then, no! Nick Fury's breaking up now. He is beginning to disintegrate. I can't believe what I'm watching. And I see him. He's got this, like, communication device in his hand. And you see him looking quite panicked. And and he's typing away at the device. And the very last thing to go, uh, you see the arm dissolving. The very last thing to go is his thumb. And just before it vaporizes, he hits send. (laughs) And the communicator clatters to the ground. And the screen fades to black. The hero is gone. Hope is lost. The infinity war is over. Now, I have not been paid for this promotion, but I should tell you, (laughs) there is a reason I'm telling you this story. And it is because, as I've thought about it, This story is an awful lot like the one that is at the heart of the Easter message. The one we have to understand before the Easter message will really come home to us and have its uh, full impact. For thousands and thousands of years now, Christians have approached the season we call Lent, the ramp-up days towards the celebration of Easter, Uh, with a particular confession on their lips. That's a confession that actually gets recited on Ash Wednesday at the start of the season of Lent. And the confession is this, dust we are and to dust we will return. It is the confession that as long as sin and death and the curse of these things have their sway, as long as they are left unaddressed, then sooner or later, everything disintegrates. Everything breaks down. Uh, It goes to dust again, just like in that movie. And for the followers of Jesus on Good Friday, I am pretty sure that it seemed like that line about the dust and disintegration was just like 
the entire storyline. Now, the movie did not start that way for these people. Mary Magdalene and Peter and John and James and the others had, had begun to follow Jesus. They had signed on with Jesus because he seemed to them uh, the ultimate kind of you know, superhero in a sense. He, he, in our parlance, he was the ultimate avenger, the advancer of good. Um, they didn't use that term, of course, back in those days. They had another word for avenger. They called it the Christ, the Messiah, literally the anointed one. And it was the pro prophecy of the Old Testament that there was going to come one who would bring with him the power of God to renew things, to release people from bondage to that which was holding them, to bring about the life of thriving and flourishing in the nation of Israel that the people were longing for as they, as they lived under the boot of, of a variety of conquering armies and empires. And they believed, these original disciples, that Jesus might just be that Christ, that kind of avenger in our language. They knew that he was needed in their land because they'd seen so much evil being done. I mean, they had seen uh, horrible things uh, that maybe you and I have been insulated from in our lives. I don't think there was probably a single disciple that would not have heard or seen or known about a rape that had taken place in their village because it was commonplace. They would know about abused children because children were not prized and protected as they are in our times. Uh, but were often used and abused themselves. They, they would have seen men being led into a way of life, a way of treating other people that would not be synonymous at all with manhood and as we're trying to define it in our time. And, and the disciples would have been present to a world in which there was staggering amounts of wealth, but it was held by very, very few people and pretty much everybody else scrapped and scraped just to put food on the table. A very few people had a lot, and most everybody else was actually enslaved. They, 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 they were desperately under the heel of, of more powerful people. Uh, the political scene was no better. It was a constant parade of figures who often made grandiose speeches and did occasional benevolent acts for the people, but by and large, um, just took care of themselves and their cronies, their own peeps. Uh, they just made sure that the nest was feathered well for their people and let everybody else kind of go their own way. Uh, it was a world of, of darkness and of a lot of disease and a great deal of despair and decay, and it was controlled by those with the biggest stones, by the powerful people. They were the ones, and the rest of the people, which was almost everybody, simply uh, struggled their way along. And then came this rabbi from Nazareth. Now, you need to understand there were lots of rabbis in this time. There were, in fact, uh, people that claimed to be a messiah and prophets in this time. But this one was different. And because he was so different, he turned the heads of an unprecedented number uh, of people. In fact, only John the baptizer had seen that kind of following. And John the baptizer pointed to him and said, I'm not even fit to tie that guy's sandals. And so Jesus attracted tremendous amounts of attention and for good reason. He wasn't like the political and religious figures of his day. He actually cared about individual people. He treated everybody the same, whether they were a child, an adult, a female, a male, slave or free, rich or poor. Jesus took focused interest in each person. 
set in his path. Jesus showed an interest in their future, in, in their aspirations. Jesus had this uh, ability to, to see simple things like bread and wine and seeds as windows into the glorious beauty and grace of life itself. Jesus walked around seeing life as luminous. And when you were with him and listening to him, you began to see life differently. You began to realize the sacramental and sacred in all things around you. Jesus taught that the greatest wealth that you could possibly have in life, the kind that you should chase after with everything in you, is loving relationships. He says that's the most important. And a lot of his parables and his stories are about trying to restore relationships and, 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 and find that deep connectedness that, that, it, that God intended for life. Uh, Jesus also taught that power wasn't what it was popularly conceived of, that power was a gift, a wonderful tool that was meant to be used for good and that it was not to be used selfishly, that the greatest leader, the greatest kind of leader would be the person who was the servant of all. That's how you'll know greatness, he said, when you see someone who is the humble servant of all. Jesus proclaimed the transforming power of forgiveness in an age and an era that was even more divided and segmented and tribalized than we are today. That's hard to believe because we're pretty tribalized and divided. Jesus proclaimed the power of forgiveness, of doing good even to our enemies, of opening our hearts to the persons around us. He called us to see the people around us as family, to look beyond the surface of things and to recognize the common and deep needs that all of us have and to reach out to support one another. Jesus said that the greatest kind of joy comes not from storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, but from lifting up other people's lives. There's the greatest joy you can have, he said. And Jesus didn't just talk about this. You know, this wasn't just a sermon. Jesus did it. He lived it. He healed. He fed. He empowered people. He stooped and washed feet himself. Jesus was the real deal. And, and like people who, who, who show up for the big blockbuster movies of our time, you know, they'll announce the great blockbuster and people come streaming to the local theaters to see the blockbuster. People stream from everywhere to see Jesus. Uh, I mean, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the female and the male, the reckless and the searching, the all different kinds of people came out to see Jesus. They, they saw in him such clarity of perspective. He just made sense of life. There was a compassion in his heart that just won your trust. There was this presence and vision to him. And people actually came to believe that if we could start living by the principles and the practices that he talked about, that he modeled, this world could change. I mean, the kingdom of God, of the heavens that he talked about, that would be a better place to live. And he wasn't talking about off in the sky. He was talking about renewed, a renewed order on this planet. That would be the kind of kingdom that we would want to live in, so many people said. And yet Jesus made it really clear, it wouldn't be easy to get to that kind of kingdom. It wasn't going to be easy to just walk in and start living in this new way without meeting all kinds of resistance in yourself and from people around you. And sometimes as he 
taught about the challenges that would come to living his way, uh, people would begin to kind of back up and say, well, it doesn't sound as good as I thought it was. I thought this was a whole free deal. I thought this was a magic carpet ride. And Jesus at one point turns to to his disciples, the ones that have stayed behind, and he said, will you leave me too? Are you guys going to bolt? And Peter, Simon Peter, speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Translation. You have the vision that matters. You see the stuff that, that's, that can change our lives. You, you inspire us with this passion to live the God-filled life, Jesus. You inspire us to be the better kind of people that this world so desperately needs. We might say, you make us want to be Avengers. You make us believe we could be. To whom else would we go? But not everybody thought that way about Jesus. Thanos didn't think that way about Jesus. The people under Thanos' influence didn't think about Jesus that way. Now, you may be confused. You're just mentioning a Hollywood movie character in association with the Bible. Why didn't you say like Satan or Lucifer or the evil one or the adversary? Well, I could have used those terms. I could have also said Voldemort or Saruman or Cruella. Uh, There have been lots of choices of names for people because in every single religion, in every single culture across the earth, we have always found a name for that intelligent, malevolent force that we encounter that does war against human thriving, that that has this disintegrative effect on human life. We've always found words to describe that particular uh, entity. And that entity delights in dividing countries. Thanos is thrilled about American life today. Could not be happier with that. Thanos delights in dividing uh, communities. He can't believe how successful he's been that we look at people with slightly different skin tone and think the enemy, (laughs) an alternate species, when he knows we're actually brothers and sisters, just haven't found each other yet. Thanos loves to break up marriages, to, to ruin hope, to disfigure personalities, to get us addicted to crazy stuff that can't feed us as if it were candy and helpful to us. Thanos loves to destroy and disease our bodies. He is the ultimate blacklist vict- uh, villain, Thanos is. And, and he had his bad breath just is breathing everywhere, through people, in places, You must not be naive about him because he will not stop till he gets all the marbles. All of them, your life, my life, every institution across this earth. God is the opposite of Thanos. He's the one who gives it. Thanos is the one who wants to take it. And on Good Friday, Thanos looked to be winning the Infinity War. He really did. Think about this. The most beautiful, 
creative, powerful human being that ever walked across the planet was now in serious trouble. His, his movement was disrupted. His, um, his followers were scattered. The coworkers he assembled were, were running in every different direction, towering heroes like Judas and Peter, and they had been heroes. They had betrayed him or they had denied him. Uh, the others had abandoned him. They were cowering in fear lest they too be arrested. The ultimate avenger himself was literally disintegrating. I mean, I'm telling you, his body was coming apart. They had taken a cat of nine tails to him 39 times. They had tortured him. They had ripped his flesh uh, off his body. He was hanging on a cross, the cruelest invention of execution ever. He's struggling to breathe. His lifeblood is dripping away. It's a dark, terrible, horrible, it can't end this way kind of moment. And like Nick Fury pressing send, a last cry for help goes up to the heavens. My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. There's just silence. And then it is finished. And the infinity war is apparently over. And the screen fades to black. I know people, I talk to people probably every week who are living that movie in a sense. Um, they are stuck on Friday. Their life is stuck, it feels, uh, on Friday. That amazing loved one who was the center of their life, their companion has, has died. Um, the medical diagnosis is is catastrophic, uh, maybe even terminal. I talked to a, a, a friend in, in this church this week who's going, undergoing tests, and it, it is looking like it's not going to be good. Um, maybe the love relationship that has brought joy is, has slowly withered and died away and now is gone, or the job is gone, or the dream for that child or for yourself is, has disintegrated, or the political scene looks hopeless, or life feels meaningless, or empty, empty, lonely. And at some point, all of us, we, we find ourselves on that Friday. Uh, we find ourselves in a place where we feel like we've just kind of lost the war for whatever it was that mattered. And I know that's not true of everybody here. Thankfully, it's not true of everybody here. If it were, if we were all in that place right now, man, we wouldn't, I don't know how we get through. We need each other. When one of us is in a different season of life, man, that person is needed to prop up those of us who are in one of those hard Friday circumstances. And if, and if you're in that good place right now, if you're living your life like a superhero, thank you. We're, we're thrilled for you. Wear that Iron Man suit as long as you can. Use your spidey senses to help the rest of us, you know? Surf that wave, baby, as long as you possibly can. But I will tell you, Friday's coming, even for you. 
sooner or later, nobody escapes it. Thanos will not let that happen. They will come when what you've trusted in and depended upon will disintegrate. It is one of life's tough certainties that this happens. Jesus said there is no way to build the house of your life where you won't face storms, where the shadow of death won't eventually fall over you, where the darkness will not eventually close in, where doubt will not finally kick up. The credits will one day roll and you too will be left in shock if you haven't been left there already. You'll be like the figures of Mary and John standing at the foot of the cross, mouths open going, no way, it can't end like this. And we just hope there's somebody to hold hands with when we're in that place. So the Bible tells us a lot about Good Friday, the Black Fridays of life. Those places in our lives where things disintegrate and seem lost forever. You know, if you notice the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Saturday. I've always waited for a sermon on the Saturday after that Good Friday. Christians have a name for it. They call it Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday. But like we have no details about what went on, like what the disciples were doing. Did they go out for lunch? Were they too afraid to do that? Um, chances are, psychologically speaking, they, they, they just were grieving. They, they, they were just struggling. They were trying to come to terms with what had gone on in these last hours. They, they were just trying to make sense of it. Um, they must have needed that time, I think, to just come to terms with this shock and loss. And it, and it occurs to me that we need Holy Saturdays too. We need them. Um, we need time ourselves when trauma and loss has come our way or something's happened that makes us doubt God or our loved ones or even ourselves. We gotta have a place to process all that. We don't want people rushing us past that don't worry, be happy, get on with your life. Uh-uh, not good for us. We need time to take this stuff in. We should honor those moments in our lives and not let anything push us past that to the next thing too quickly. I've lived through my share of dark Fridays when my family fell apart, when my house burned, when people that I loved died, murdered, suicide, you know, disease. I've seen that. And when those times happened, I was just so numb and where I wasn't numb enough, I would numb myself, if you know what I mean. I'd find ways to numbing myself. Thank God when the second day period came, when the Saturday period came, where I could just start to really feel it, take it in, process it. Thank God for the people that stood with me in those holy Saturday moments of my life. I hope you've had people that are doing that for you. I hope you'll do that for other people. Um, I have this wild theory that the reason the Bible doesn't give us any information about what happened on that particular Saturday is because God didn't want to give us any information. He was just giving them space. He was just giving the disciples the space that they needed after the crucifixion of their superhero to feel it, to, to process it, to grieve it, so that there might eventually arise for them an authentic question in a natural way and the question would eventually arise that is more important than the why of suffering is the question, what next? 
Is there more to the story? Is there a sequel? What would happen if I just hung on long enough to get to the third day? I had a great spring break this year because um, our youngest was home from uh, college and, uh, and uh, we went out to the movies together. We went to an Avenger movie. <laughs> I saw the newest one. It's called Captain Marvel. Have you seen that one? It takes its title, the title character played by Brie Larson um, is this really remarkable figure. She's a really likable person, you know, very accessible, real kind of person, person that you'd want as a friend, a human being that you like. And yet at the same time, she's got all of these like incredible powers that are sort of like divine powers. So she's like you in certain kind of ways, and yet she's got these capacities you do not have that are pretty darn amazing. And it was that amazing, that marvelous aspect to her that just blew me away. I mean, when I say that she's got power, I mean, think all caps, boldface, blinking, neon. I mean, she could kick Superman's butt with her pinky. She makes Wonder Woman look like a wimp. She would do this to the Hulk and send him rolling away. She can fly. She has uh, the power to channel energy. She can overcome death itself. She fires power rays from her hands that just obliterate evil. She is the most amazing, powerful superhero you have ever seen in any story or movie or book that you've ever encountered. She is properly named a marvel. A marvel. And I'm walking out of the theater that day, and my first thought is, how have I lived so long and never heard about her? I mean, wow. This woman changes the fortunes of any battle. I mean, as long as she is in the game and working, and she's, she is so good and so full of integrity, as long as she is there, I mean, you're not going to really worry about the final outcome of things. It might be bad in the middle. You are going to be fine with what ultimately comes. And in fact, there is actually an Easter egg that happens at the end of her movie too. I stayed past the credits for this one also. Now I need to give you a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, you're going to want to go la 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 for this part. But the Easter egg surprise scene at the end of this movie takes you back to the earlier movie, Infinity War, to the end of the movie you never did actually see. When, when the, the, the remaining Avengers, the remaining disciples, are, are gathered privately together in worry and confusion, and suddenly things change, because it's only then you realize that that last dissolving thumb of Nick Fury, when he hit that little button that said send, he was calling her. And in the last scene, the Easter egg scene of Captain Marvel, as the disciples, the Avengers are there, Marvel shows up. And 
I felt hope rising up in me like I was a 15-year-old all over again. Marvel lives, yes, yes. So I want you to think about this with me because what I'm telling you, what I'm trying to stress for you today is that this should remind us of something. I walk out of the theater, I'm going, ooh, now where else have I heard about somebody fully human and fully divine who can overcome the power of death and has power that comes from his hands? Where have I heard that before? Oh yeah, Hollywood gets all of its best stories from the Bible. It does. All of its greatest themes are from this original book that tells the story of our lives. And so on Good Friday, the goodness of the world got dissolved for a moment in the face of evil's blacklist themes. On Holy Saturday, the mystery of the world sat brewing in the silence, just like that space some of us may be in today, just like that space between movies. But on the third day, the all-important sequel came. It happened. The ultimate avenger returned to defeat the power of sin, decay, death, disease, disintegration, and he displayed his power to do that by rising from the grave. Now, here's the most important part. That ain't a movie. That is history. That is not wishful thinking. That is ultimate reality. How do I know that? Because a bunch of very real people not expecting this outcome showed up at the tomb and found an Easter egg they never expected. That huge stone that had been rolled into place over the mouth of that tomb to seal the dying body or the dead body of Jesus in for infinity, that big stone had somehow been rolled away. And when they looked inside and expected to see, of course, the disintegrating body of Jesus, what they found instead were these empty grave clothes. And the, and, the, and the way it's described is as if they hadn't been disturbed. They just were empty. Like something had just moved through it, through the wrappings. An energy change, a plane change of some kind. And then Jesus is seen alive uh, not just by Mary and, and some of the other women and not just by the apostles and, 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 and Peter, but by, as I said before, by a group of more than 500 people at one time and lots of other subgroups in every life situation and circumstance and frame of mind. And they've all seen this same presence meeting them over a period of some 40 days. And it wasn't like they just had this sort of sense of his presence or like a yawning, oh, that's interesting. It changed them. It altered them completely. It, 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 it reformed their personality. It turned the Apostle Paul from a, a persecutor of the Christian church to the ultimate apostle of the Christian church. It turned Peter from a guy that wouldn't admit even knowing Jesus to a guy who's willing to go to a cross rather than deny that he knows Jesus. Do you get this? It turned them into avengers. This encounter and turned them into the most transformative influence for human flourishing this world had ever seen. And over the course of the generations that followed, a ripple of grace moved out from that empty tomb and created what we call Western civilization, hospitals, orphanages, schools, opportunity, equal rights, 
civil rights, all of it came out. The flow of power from that hand, those hands. Until that power washed across this community one day and created this church. When I say this church, I'm not talking about the building. You could burn up the roof of this building. You could tear down the stones of this building. You'd still have a church. You're that church. You are the Avengers. You are the people called by Jesus Christ for this time, for this place, for this hour of need. I understand that calling in general is a difficult thing sometimes to respond to, especially if it's a big calling. I think back, and I'll just close with this, to a conversation that Rick and Kay Warren, the founders of Saddleback Church, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, um, had uh, some time ago. As many of you will probably be aware, they very tragically lost their 27-year-old son. It was about as devastating a loss as a family can go through. And about a year after the tragedy, Rick was being interviewed, and he said, you know, I've often been asked, how have you made it? Where have you found the strength to keep going in your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is, the answer is Easter. I try to remember, he said, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering, pain, and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt, confusion, and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. And, and here's the truth, says Warren. You too will face these three days. Maybe a bunch of times over the course of your life, you'll face these same three days. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking yourself, as we did, three fundamental questions. One, what do I do in my days of pain? Who do I turn to? Who will be with me? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Where will I find the guidance, the safety in those moments? And three, how do I get to the days of joy and hope and victory, how will I do it? The answer, the answer, dear friends, is Jesus. It's Jesus and the body of Christ, this amazing community that he has assembled. Jesus has got a plan for you. And it ain't disintegration. Maybe for a while, there'll be some disintegrating going on. His plan for you is resurrection and renewal and recovery and reconciliation and a lot of other good things. That's his plan. I have a plan for you to give you a future and a hope, the scripture says, speaking for God. And I have a community for you. I have a place of belonging for you where you can find what you need in times of trouble and trial. And more than that, I can give you a place where you'll not only come to discover joy and victory and the power that you need in the tough times, you'll be able to share it with other people 
And your life is going to have a meaning because of that. You'll never find any other way. So, well, I guess I'd want to say as we go is, happy Easter to you. This is good news. Happy Easter to you. But, but come on back, would you? Because even Easter has a sequel. And it isn't Christmas. Okay? It starts before then. And if you will come back and be part of this life-changing mission that he has set us upon, you are going to discover that the greatest adventure of your life is just beginning. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for this powerful reminder that you are the magnificent marvel this world has been awaiting. Strengthen us by your presence and your power, we pray. Draw us even more deeply into the heroic community of your followers. Send us forth this day to be the force of faith, hope, and love this planet so desperately needs. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.